Um, next week I will be out, and Jake will be continuing the series that he has taken us through in 1 Samuel. And then I'm back for a week. We'll be back in Proverbs, and then I'm gone for another week. Um, uh, I'm preaching both those weeks, one week in Joplin. Uh, as Reed, one of the pastors that helped start this church, is on his sabbatical. And then uh, August 22nd, I get to preach in Owasso, uh, our mother church. So um, both those weeks, I encourage you to come. Uh, uh, August 22nd, we'll have Dr. Jay Bruce, who is a professor at John Brown, and he's awesome. He's, he's quite funny. He's brilliant. Um, and uh, you'll, you'll be blessed. So that's what's coming up. Uh, Dangerous Shortcuts, that's the title of this week's sermon. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 19. Uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, or like hell, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We'll all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. I want to address just a few things in the context of this text and, and, and from last week. He uses twice here this, my son. Now you know I'm a Hamilton fan and uh, I listen to it when I ride my bike or I work out. And, and um, those words, uh, there's so many themes that run through that musical or that production or whatever you call it. Uh, my son is one of them. One of my favorite songs is Alexander and Burr sitting side by side, and they're both expecting a child. And Alexander is singing, my son, my son. But before that, he had gotten in an argument with Washington. And uh, Washington, much older, is instructing him. And Alexander seems to have this terrible temper. He flies off the handle. He always thinks he's the smartest person in the room. And Washington is trying to calm him down, and he says, son to him a couple times. The second time he says, son, to Alexander, Alexander looks at him and says, call me son one more time. And you know what he's saying? If any of you have had a brother, if any of you men have had a brother, I dare say you've wrestled a few times. And um, depending on where you grew up in the country, if you grew up in the deep south, and your brother had you down and he had you pinned and you're whining, he, would, he could have said this. He could have said, say hogtied. You may not have heard of that, see? Oklahoma is not the South. People say, is it the South? I'm like, no, no, it's its own deal. It's, it's a mess. 
Your brother may have pinned you down and he may have said for you to stop, say, say uncle. Anybody ever heard that one? Say uncle. Say uncle. That's exactly what's happening with Alexander in Washington. Washington is treating him as an inferior, but as a son, saying, I'm fatherly advice to you. I know more. I've lived longer. I've seen things. Alexander, I care for you as my own son, but Alexander is too proud so that he looks at Washington and says, you call me that one more time. But in our text, and the reason I had that quote this morning, is when God calls us as his son, again, no offense to women, We take that same meaning for you. The son received the instruction. The son received everything. The beauty of the New Testament is this whole inclusion of Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free. He is saying it in the sense of, I care so much about you. I am giving you instruction, my son, not, not just because I'm trying to avoid hardship for myself, you know, as a parent, sometimes I would, I would instruct my kids to do things because I thought, if they don't do these things, it's going to make it tough on me. Right? It's going to make me look bad. It's going to cost me. Right? And, and maybe there's some of that. But when our God gives instruction, He's saying, I, I long for you to flourish. My son, you are just starting out on this path. And, and, and so it's going to be throughout these first nine chapters that, that same theme of family care and love and warning. And that's what he is saying here. Um, it's authority that has been softened by tenderness. Instruction molded with a parental endearment. My son. We, um, we read this text and we see that there is an offering here. An offering of a life, a whole world view that is different than from what this child has been given. Warnings about who you are with Warnings on how you will make a living. Warnings on how to treat those with more than yourself. And I I can't help but think how this seems to be the negative side of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is the positive side. How blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wise. Who doesn't sit in the seat of sinners or stand with mockers, but his, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 1 gives kind of the positive. Here's the beauty, here's the beauty of walking and following the Lord. The Psalm 1 says he, that, that that person becomes like a tree that's planted by the streams of water that bears fruit. And the wicked are not so. Proverbs 1, it's kind of this warning side. And here's the summary of this warning. I put it in the sermon in the sentence. And that is that sin often offers an easier way to the desired ends. And we'll find that in, in every area that the, the writer to the Proverbs addresses, whether it's relationships, money, pleasure, uh, making a living, uh, treating people. It, it, sin seems to offer an easier way to our desired ends. Sin comes in as the evil one did in the garden and says, oh, oh you can become like God, and it's, it's pretty easy, actually. Uh, you just have to take a bite of this apple. You just have to trust yourself more than 
what God has told you and you'll become like him. That's the nature of sin. It offers an easier way to our desired ends, but it always costs more than we can pay. In the end, it leads to death. And it doesn't ultimately deliver what it promises. And so in our text this morning, I've broken it down into three sections. The first is verses 8 to 10, and, and it's here a father and a mother pleading. A father and a mother pleading to their son. Uh, and, and, and here's what he wants to do. The father wants to say, uh, I know it sounds good to follow the crowd. I know it makes sense. I know everybody's doing this. I'm going to debunk the gang's scheme. And so when he says this is what they say, obviously it's not necessarily exactly what they say. right? It, it, it's my boy saying, uh, hey dad, me and my buddies are going to go do this. And me saying, no you're not. As soon as you leave the house, you're going to go do this. That's what he's saying. They're offering to you, hey, hey, come and join us. But, but here is really what they should be saying if they were honest. If they knew where they were going. If they knew where they ended up. Now, I want to tell you that this thought, it, 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 it haunts me in a sense. And maybe it's just because I'm older than just about all of you. But I feel like the father. And I, and I see you. I see you with your kids. I see you in your marriages. I see you in your jobs. And there are those times I, I just, I'm like, don't fall for this. Don't invest your life in, in all of this. Take heed of the precious things entrusted to you while there's still time. Like the Father. And maybe that's why in some circles the pastor was called the Domine, the, the, the Father. Um, but that's what we get here. My son, if sinners entice you. And so he's saying, I, I am forewarning you so that you will be forearmed, so that you will know, uh, my son, sinners will entice you. And even that word is true. They, they entice you. They lure you with half-truths, untruths, and promises of a desired end that you'll never get. They entice you, my son. If they do that, do not consent. So that's the father and the mother before their kids. Again, it, it, it's not like the Olympic parents that are trying to get some glory or trying to push their kids to, to justify all the, the, the sacrifices they've made. But it is family honor. It is wanting to delight in a child's maturity. Wanting to celebrate in their victories. Wanting to see them flourish. And so the father and the mother plead, my son... If they entice you. Same thing in 15. My son, don't walk in the way with them. Hold your feet back from their paths. And, and then he says, here's their plot. So secondly, in our text, he says, here's the plot. Uh, they entice you versus instruct you. Okay? Huge difference. The, the, the Proverbs are going to instruct you. They're going to teach you. The Proverbs are going to say, think critically. Okay? Thinking critically about the decisions, the promises, the hopes. The Proverbs are going to say, I am here to instruct. Wisdom will instruct the humble. It will guide the humble. The sinners will entice. 
They stand in direct opposition to the father-mother paradigm. Do you see that? Direct opposition. Don't listen to your father and mother. Listen to us. We're 12 years old and we know more than your father and mother. Sometimes with my kids, I would say, as I got in arguments with my older boys, I would say, do you know any more than your sister Anna? And they'd be like, of course. I'm like, and how much older are you than her? Five years. Okay. I'm 30 years older than you. (laughs) You think I might know a few things? You think I might have seen a few things? The gang says, don't listen to them. And I want to tell you, it's so prevalent today. And parents, please don't give in to it. Don't think it's okay. Don't make your decisions based upon what all of your kids' peers are doing. Don't make decisions on what all your peers are doing. The gang comes and says, don't listen to wise counsel. They don't know. Things have changed. Life is different. You know, last week I talked about King Solomon again. Uh, the author, God is really the author, but he is working it through the personality and the experience of King Solomon. And, and most scholars believe that King Solomon has put this whole list together for either one of two reasons, and maybe both of them, uh, for his son Rehoboam to choose a spouse wisely. So if you read through all of Proverbs, it ends in, verse, in chapter 31 and says, here's the wife you need to be looking for, son. Others say, no, it was really written uh, so he could pass on to Rehoboam how to rule. Because uh, if Solomon was going to turn over the kingdom to his son, Rehoboam, he's like, here's the things you need to know. You need to know truth, justice, and honor. You need to know how to differentiate between uh, the gang and the truth of God's word. But here's the sad part. In 1 Kings chapter 12, it's the first action of King Rehoboam. 1 Kings 12. Rehoboam, the elders come to Rehoboam and they say, your father was really difficult. The country's about to go into a civil war. If you will deal gently with the people, you'll rule them all the days of your life. That was the elder, wiser people. Put in Rehoboam's life as advisors. We've watched your father's rule. We have seen the undoing of it. We have seen him turn away his heart from the Lord. Rehoboam, if you will, gently shepherd these people. You'll rule them all the days of your life. And then the text tells us he listened to them, and then he called in all his buddies. And his buddies said, no, 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 no. They're they're wrong. They don't know anything. You tell these people, uh, figuratively, (laughs) my little finger, he says, is thicker than my father's waist. You tell these people, Solomon will beat you with a whip. I'm going to beat you with a scorpion. Seven-strapped whip with pieces of metal and glass in it. And what does Rehoboam do? Follows the crowd. Goes and tells the people, hey, we're not going to listen to those old folks. I'm not pointing at you. You're not all old. We're not going to listen to those old folks. I'm going to do what my friends tell me. And it's horrific, isn't it? Civil war, bloodshed, fighting amongst the people that God had rescued. The the gang plots and says, listen to us. Listen to us. We will offer an easier way. 
a quicker way to get everything you want. And I call this these dangerous shortcuts. Not only do they not fear God, but they have no fear of any authority. Now, they're rarely as honest, or else they're just, they don't know. They don't necessarily come to us and say, hey, let's go murder some innocent people. But Solomon is saying, son, that's where this will lead. That's where this path will lead. That's where they will take you. They're inviting you not to a full life, but they're inviting you to your own death. I think they offer three things in here. They offer community. So when you read what they're saying, come join us. Throw your lot in with us. Be a part of the community. Don't underestimate that power. Okay, To be left out is rough on human beings. To be jettisoned aside, to be pushed out, to be not chosen, to be not part of the team, not be part of the club, to not be invited to the party. All of those things are, are... are powerful to us because we are made for community. And so the gang comes and says, our community is going to be so much easier. And you know what? At the start, it is. Community in a church is not easy. We have a higher standard of how we are to love, how we are to forgive, how we are to give one another. We have a higher standard. We're to accept people that don't like our sports teams. We expect people that don't like Hamilton whatever and it's harder in many ways but at the root of that Christian community the gospel takes all of those things that divide us and and it rids them of their power so they offer community come join us we're going to have this great life we're going to have we're going to all live in the same place we're going to share everything They, they they offer cash We'll share a common purse. We have a plan, they say, to the unwise, the foolish. We have a plan to get wealth and security. We're going to figure out some way to do it outside of hard work and law-abiding. We have a get-rich-quick scheme that is foolproof. I'm sure none of us have fallen for that, have we? Man, I was this far from crypto. You know, just, can I? You know, I mean, it's enticing, isn't it? Is there, is there a way for me to have what they have without having to work? That's what they're saying. Right? Come, come join us. Uh, we'll, 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 be, we'll live in such affluence, and yet we won't have to work for it. Now, if you're uh, familiar with the Ten Commandments, the last commandment has to deal with coveting and envy. All right? And I would say in our country that the last commandment of the Ten Commandments is the one that is broken most often. In fact, I, I would say that that last commandment, it, it is almost treated in the opposite way as a right to covet what your neighbor has. And I would say that the way the commandments are written, that if you start with putting God first, then everything flows down to it. And, and once God has his place, then the, the desire to covet, to take what doesn't belong to you, that belongs to someone else, uh, is removed. But, but from the opposite, when you covet, you work your way back up the commandments. 
You find you don't honor your parents. You find you're not pure. You find you don't keep the Lord's day, and eventually you find that you have a different God, and that's what they're saying here. They're saying, uh, hey, you know those rich people around us? They don't deserve what they've got. Let's take it from them. We're going to sneak up on them, and we're going to take it from them. It ain't going to bother them. That's how it starts. That's what they're saying. We'll have a common community, we'll have cash, and we will have comfort together. We will all share. We'll each have each other's back. And yet they disregard the justice and the authority of Almighty God. Brothers and sisters, we are to ask ourselves when we make decisions, what pleases and honors our God? I'd say many Christian people, that, that, that probably maybe is question four or five when we make decisions. And brothers and sisters, I mean that on every decision. I buy this car. I take this job. I go out on this date. I take this class. I go to this school. I play this sport. What pleases and honors God most? Think about that. If you have a relationship that is difficult... You walk in and you think, I need this, I demand this from them. How different is it if you go in and you say, what pleases and honors my God most? Far too often, it's what's going to give me what I want most. What do I feel I deserve? What do those around me think I deserve? This young man is being tempted and will be tempted. As uh, you know, I listen to Dave Ramsey podcast on occasion, and sometimes someone calls and they argue with him, and they're like, "My uncle said this," and uh, and he'll respond, "Oh, okay. Well, you can take advice from me. I've helped hundreds of people become millionaires, or you can take advice from your broke uncle. The choice is yours." <laughs> that sounds arrogant, but again, what does it mean? Who will I listen to? And do they know that there will be a reckoning? And that's the third part of this proverb, verses 17 to 19. If you got your text there, look at that, verse 17. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. He says, not only is their way wrong, it's stupid. It's stupid, he says. It's, it's not just wrong. It's not just sinful. It just won't, it's just dumb. They have this plan, and they're acting as if God can't see. If the Almighty has no eyes, no ears, and cannot see in vain, he goes, it's just like setting a net out there while all the birds are watching. It is vanity trying to hide from God. Verse 18, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Anybody follow Fail Army on Instagram? That's what he's saying. They have this great plan. Hey, hold my beer and watch this. He goes, it's going to come back on them. The ambush they set for the innocent is going to come back on them. And so again, a wise father looking at his son and saying, in the short term and in the moment, oh, it seems like they have everything. But they don't realize there is a God in heaven. And he will demand 
justice. Their traps will come back on them. And then verse 19, he concludes by saying, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Not just any gain. He's not talking about working hard and making a living. He's talking about unjust gain. Taking what is not rightfully yours. Taking what your hands have not produced. He doesn't use the word therefore in, in a, as a promise, but he's summarizing it. He's saying this is what's going to happen. These are the ways of those. And so he is actually highlighting what they use to attract him. Unjust gain. An easier way to the desired end. Is there a way that doesn't require discipline in order to get a gold medal? <laughs> I mean, I, I've watched a lot of the Olympics, and I've yet to see someone that was born naturally uh, able to swim and break, gold gold, you know, break world records. I haven't. I mean, they, they haven't shown any of this is the life of so-and-so. Uh, he learned to swim last week, and um, now he just set a... He just, he just set a world record. Now he's back at the trailer drinking beer and eating pizza. And uh, he'll be out here. To, no, of course not. We watch him and we go, what do they do? And then they show it. You know, this person is unbelievably disciplined. Have just had noticed so many things for this desired end. I use this because that's what the Apostle Paul uses. He's like an athlete, trains. And in the same manner, oh Christian people, the desired end, there's no shortcut. These people want an unjust gain. But the beauty that we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ always delivers what it promises. Our Lord and Savior delivers exactly what He promises. And it's weird, you read this and you can hear the words of Jesus. You can hear Him in Matthew 26 saying... To Peter, put away your sword, Peter. All who live by the sword, Peter, we're going to perish by the sword. Sin promises life by taking life. It's exactly what they're saying. Our life will be better if we take from those other folks' lives. The gospel says our life is better because he gave his life. The gospel promises us abundant life by giving up our life. The gospel promises us that if we serve and love others, we will find joy. The Father here, He is certain of God's justice, power of God's existence. He fears God more than being left out of the crowd. And He says, Son, the shortcut will fail. Their end is death. Even the three things I mentioned, think about community in 2 Corinthians Paul writes, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Think about what this means for community. One turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. He's saying we, we finally are able to quit hiding. We have a community that's not based upon we're going to try to steal as much money as we can from other people. We're going to try to seek pleasure. And who cares what it hurts? No, we have a community that is on, on truth. And says, verse 17, the Lord's Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. There is freedom in the community of God's people. And we all, he says, with unveiled face, are beholding the glory of the Lord. And we are transformed into the same image. And it comes from the Lord. That's the community the gospel invites us to. 
We don't have to perform. We don't have to be something great. We bring our faces to God. We don't have to struggle with the cash. It's not what we look for. It's not how we grade ourselves against other people. It's not what we think is going to rescue us and save us. And we find comfort in a path that is directed by God and his word. Galatians 6, the apostle writes again, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. My son, when sinners entice you, do not throw your lot in with them. Do you know what that means, believer? It means your life will look different than everybody around you. I know as a Christian parent, for some seasons, I tried to make my kids' life look so less different than everybody else. Fought it. But it's to look different. We have a different hope. We have a different path. We have a different fear. We're not afraid of the crowd. We're not afraid of those around us. We're not afraid of what people will say. We fear God. And we think, what am I doing and saying and thinking and believing and how is it affecting our relationship with Him? Sin offers an easier way, but it always costs more than we can pay. Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the warnings. We pray that we would take them seriously. That we too would look with critical eyes at our lives and everyone would look. Who am I with? What crowd has enticed me? What environment means the most to me? Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us as a church to provide a community that the world cannot compete with. Community of love and care. And even, Father, it says in Deuteronomy that the, the poor among us would be cared for by the body. That there would be no need to go after unjust gain. There would be no need to steal from the rich where all our needs are met. Now help us, Father, as we raise children in this church and to teach them your truth to forewarn them that they might be forearmed against the trappings of this world. Well, we know none of our kids get up in the morning and say, well, I am hoping that one day that I'll be a low life. I'm hoping one day I'll be an alcoholic or a drug user. Or I'll be... None of them say that. And, and Lord, we know that our enemy entices them so slowly. We pray that they would be wise and pray that they would listen to your word. And we would do the same, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.